0: Weird stuff.
1: Yeah, very strange. But it's strange because we're the only house in the surrounding area that has a fence, right? So
0: plus we have three crazy dogs. Like it's not safe. Yeah. What, why are you in our yard,
1: <laughs> Ricky? Tell tell them what happened.
0: All right. So we've had the rabbits. You, you guys know the rabbit story. If you haven't, you know it's like two episodes back. It kind of starts. But so we had a skunk incident. So our all three of our dogs got hit by a skunk. Sprayed. Smells terrible. We now, still, yeah, kind of. We still refer to the house as a skunk palace. It smells awful in here. <laughs> but we had an incident the other night. So I let the dogs out. And it was probably like one in the morning, like way too late already. And as soon as I opened the door, the dogs just shot out. And they were chasing something. And I didn't really know what was going on, honestly. And there was all this commotion and everything. And then it stopped. And... I went out – well, first I, I ran upstairs and I got Ashley again. You know, this is like a common theme. We're like, oh, my God, it happened again. It's
1: like Groundhog Day.
0: <laughs> it's like every day the clock just rolls back. But, no, so I, I we go outside and and this time with a flashlight and a camera. So we, we definitely – we had the camera rolling at this point. We had so our like, son what is this? Our son with us. And uh, so I'm, like, looking around the yard and I see a skunk. I see, like, the black. I see the, the white line and everything. And I'm like – There it is. Like, (gasps) you know, and it's like not moving, though. You know, so we're like, we kind of came to the conclusion, like, that skunk's not alive.
1: I thought it was for a little bit like he was like just plain dead. I didn't know.
0: So obviously I did what anyone would do. And I found a stick and I got real close and I started poking at it.
1: He's the brave one, obviously.
0: The skunk never moved. So we now know that we have a skunk killer on our hands. We do. There's three suspects at large.
1: Yep. And they are in custody, but
0: they're not at large then. (laughs) The terminology is all over the place. Listen,
1: we're still trying to look into this crime scene, but the thing is, is that nobody's fessing up.
0: They got dog code. They do. You know, one dog barks. They all bark. They don't want to tell on each other. (laughs) Very loyal group we got.
1: So we need your investigation skills to sniff out the criminal. (laughs) So what we have planned is there will be a post on our Instagram. And our Instagram is Crime Salad Podcast, right? Crime
0: Salad Podcast. Crime
1: Salad Podcast. So go on there, leave us a comment on the post telling us who you think did it.
0: We have their mug shots up. You know, look into their eyes, you know, dig into their souls.
1: You can kind of get a feel of their personalities, like what kind of dogs they are.
0: Help us sniff out the suspect.
1: Yeah, help us out because Listen, we have an open crime scene and we need to get to the bottom of this.
0: All right. So there's two rules here, though. You have to be following us at Crime Salad Podcast and you have to obviously guess the right killer. So if you get that right, um, you know, there's going to be multiple people who get it right. We're going to randomly pick one or two of you. We'll message you as like a DM or something. We'll get your shirt size and address, all of that. But we'll send you a free Crime Salad shirt. Yeah scruff mcgruff
1: <laughs> chicago illinois six so six, five, five, two. Two. so just a quick announcement we have three new patrons hooray danielle alexa and rebecca thank you guys so much for your support yeah
0: you guys are awesome and just a reminder you can actually join our patreon and you'll get ad-free episodes access to our back catalog and we'll also be doing bonus episodes soon
1: all right. Well, let's jump into this week's case. Both the state and the defense have agreed to the following. They've stipulated that the female caller
0: on the 911 tape from January 17,
2: 2008, at 6:14 p.m. is Denise Lee. Hello? Hello. What's I do that? Hello? I just want to my family, Hello? I want to do my family, Hello? 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 I
1: The address that you're
0: at. the oh What is the address that you're at? Hello, ma'am? Where
2: are we going? i got all the mountain. I'm going around where? Because You my I'm
1: What's your name, man?
2: Hello? What's your name? Where are
1: we? Although this case is extremely frustrating because it's one where police are just one step behind saving a woman's life, we would like to acknowledge all the hard work 911 dispatchers do on a daily basis. But imagine you're in a situation where dialing 911 is your only hope to live, but that one call isn't handled correctly. When Denise Amber Lee was kidnapped from her Florida home in the middle of the day in 2008, Five calls to 911 came in with information relating to finding her, including one from Denise herself and three from eyewitnesses. Somehow, even with all of these calls to authorities over the span of a few hours, Denise wasn't found until it was too late. How is it possible that all of these calls for help could have gone unanswered? Might Denise still be alive if someone had followed through on these calls? Denise Amber was born on August 6, 1986 in Englewood, Florida, to Sue and Rick. Denise spent her whole life in Florida and was a kind but shy girl. She was very studious and loved math and reading. During her senior year in high school, Denise met Nathan Lee. Someone who would have been quite the opposite of her. He was popular and a jock, but they got along great. The relationship was serious from the start, and Nathan bought her a small heart ring for $40. Denise never took it off. After graduating from high school, the young couple got married, and Denise gave birth to their first child, Noah, when he was 19. Soon after, in 2007, at 21 years old, Denise gave birth to their second child, Adam. The family stayed in Sarasota County but moved to Northport, Florida, just a short drive from where Denise grew up in Englewood. Denise's father, a former detective, Wasn't at all happy with the location of the house they went on to rent, as it was in a pretty rural area. But it was brand new, had three bedrooms and two bathrooms, and it was affordable. It was all the young couple wanted for their family. Nathan and Denise worked hard to care for their two boys. Nathan had three jobs to pay for the bills, and Denise stayed home to care for the kids. It couldn't have been easy, but they did make it work. On
0: Thursday, January 17, 2008, the Lee family started their day like usual. Denise was staying home with the boys while Nathan was at work. Around 11 in the morning, Nathan called home on his lunch break, like he usually did, to check in on his family. The couple talked for only a few minutes. It was an unseasonably hot January day. When Denise commented on how hot and stuffy the house was getting, Nathan suggested opening the windows. She replied that she had already done that. Other than the high temperatures, it was just another average morning. A few hours later, around 3pm, Nathan was on his way home from work. Again, like usual, he called Denise to let her know that he was on his way back. This wasn't like Denise, she always answered. During his 25 minute drive, he called his wife 8 more times, but she never picked up. When he finally made it home, he noticed that even though it had gotten hotter outside throughout the afternoon, the windows were now all closed. Inside, Nathan found Denise's phone and keys laying on a chair, and both of his sons were sitting inside in the same crib. Nathan called out for Denise, but no one answered. When he looked closer at the windows, he noticed that while they had been shut, they weren't fully latched. Knowing that Denise was always one to keep them locked when they were closed, Nathan knew that this wasn't his wife who had closed the windows. With the missed phone calls, closed windows, and the boys' home alone, Nathan knew something was wrong. He quickly called the police to report that his wife was kidnapped from their home. After relaying everything he knew to the operator on the other side of the line, Nathan then called his father-in-law, Rick Goff, Denise's father was a former detective with the local police department, and using his connections, Rick was able to get police dogs, helicopters, and the entirety of the force out to help find his daughter. Investigators started going door-to-door to to see if any of Lee's neighbors had heard or seen anything happen. While often these door-to-door inquiries don't turn up much information, for Denise it did. A neighbor had seen a green Chevy Camaro pull into Lee's driveway around 2.30 p.m. in the afternoon, less than an hour before Nathan had arrived home. A white man had gotten out of the car. And not thinking too much of it, the neighbor walked away. But when they looked again at Lee's house only about 10 minutes later, the car was gone.
2: Hi, this is Daniel Rue The Real GM Radio Podcast. It's a Texas showdown in the postseason, and Bet Online is your number one source for all your baseball wagering information with up to the minute stats, news, scores, and matchup breakdowns. Bet Online has everything you need to stay up to speed on each league championship series all the way through the World Series. And don't forget, Bet Online is where you get the latest game odds, spreads, and totals for the NFL and college football right at your fingertips. Bet Online has real time updates on statistics, news, and odds. We're serious up betting on football? Head to the website today or use your mobile device to get in on the action at BetOnline, where the game starts.
0: At 6.14 p.m., a second 911 call was made. This time, surprisingly, it was Denise herself. Somehow she managed to dial the emergency number on the kidnapper's phone. While on the line, Denise pretended to have a conversation with her abductor. She said her name and casually, as she could, said the names of the cross streets that they were passing. She pleaded with him to let her go and made it clear that she was being taken against her will by a stranger. She said please a total of 17 times in the short call and was clearly panicked and scared as she begged for help and for him to let her go. She tried to give as much information to the emergency line operator as she could, without generating suspicion from her kidnapper. The conversation should have given authorities all of the information she needed to save her. Though they were unable to trace the phone, they were able to identify the owner of the phone as Michael King, a man from Northport in his late 30s. Denise was able to keep talking, subtly giving clues to authorities and attempting to get Michael to implicate himself for a total of seven minutes. When Michael realized his phone was missing, the line suddenly disconnected. A few minutes later, around 6.20, a second 911 call was placed by Sabrina Muxlow. Sabrina Muxlow's father is Michael King's cousin, Harold Muxlow. Sabrina relayed to the operator that Michael had suddenly dropped by her father's house and appeared to have a girl tied up in the car. She told the operator on the line that she watched Michael take a shovel Gas tank and something she wasn't able to identify with him. She saw that girl in the car, who we now know was Denise, try to escape, but Michael quickly shoved her back in the car. The operator was aware of the missing woman from Northport and thanked Sabrina for calling with this information. Denise was only four miles away from her home when Michael stopped at the Muxlows home. Ten minutes later, a third 911 call was made this time from another witness to the crime, Jane Kowalski. While pulled up at a stoplight, Jane heard screaming from the car next to her. She looked over and saw a man in a green Camaro pushing down someone in the car. Jane saw a hand fight its way up and bang on the window. Hearing the terrified screams from the car and believing that she was seeing a child abduction, she immediately reported what she had seen. At this time, Jane had crossed the county line into Charlotte County, so her call was routed to a different call center. Jane was on the line with 911 for nine minutes, during which she tried to provide the cross streets and attempted to follow the vehicle to keep giving them the updated information. At the time that Jane was on the line, there were four patrol cars in the area, less than a mile away from Denise. Despite all of this, no cars were dispatched, and the call wasn't logged into the system until about 12 minutes after the call began. During the call, you can hear the operator distracted. She asked Jane a few times to hold on or to give her a second. She can be heard saying, I've got everyone hollering at me. Believing that the operator would relay the information to the proper authorities, Jane stopped following that Camaro. At 6.42, police showed up at Michael King's house hoping that they could find him and Denise there. They hadn't heard anything about what Jane Kowalski had witnessed miles away. Had they gotten the information from Jane, they would have known that he was driving down Toledo Blade Boulevard and heading back to Northport, not near his home. Lastly, just before 7pm at 6.50, Harold Muxlow, Michael's cousin, made a 911 call himself. Initially, he tried to hide his identity and kept many details vague. He told the operator that he wasn't sure exactly what the emergency was, but he saw a woman with his cousin who didn't look like she wanted to be there. This was a bit of an understatement as Denise was visibly distressed, tied up, and reportedly yelled, call the cops when she briefly escaped from the car. But Michael told him not to worry about it, and so Harold ignored what he had seen at first. Harold said Michael had taken a shovel, gas can, and a flashlight, claiming that he needed these items to fix a lawnmower that had gotten stuck in a ditch. After Denise was reported missing by her husband, and her father had put together a team of investigators at his former police department, there were four calls to 911 in the span of an hour, including one from Denise herself talking to her abductor. Despite all of these witnesses, with direct evidence on where Denise and Michael was heading with her, police were too slow to save her life. Three hours after Denise's call to 911, Michael King was pulled over by Florida Highway Patrol. He was soaked and muddy, knowing that he was the man that abducted Denise. He was immediately arrested. But when police began to question him, he had a very different story. According to his version of events, he was also a victim of kidnapping and that he had been blindfolded. He took police to a random location close to his house and claimed that that was where he was abducted from. When nothing obviously panned out or made any sense with the evidence police had already gathered against him, they charged him with kidnapping and pressed him to figure out what he had done to Denise Amber Lee. Two days after she was first abducted, on January 19th, Denise's body was finally only five miles from where Jane had seen her at the stoplight. She had been shot in the head and buried in a shallow grave. Though we may not know precisely what had happened between Denise's abduction and her murder, police have been able to piece together as clear of a timeline as they can. On the day of January 17th, Denise was outside cutting Noah's hair when Michael King was driving around looking for someone to kidnap. Seeing her outside and the windows were open, he picked her as his target. Sometime a little while later, likely around 2 p.m., Denise was taken from her house in Michael King's Camaro. He tied her up and took her to his home in Northport. Denise was bound, possibly to a headboard in the room, which was later found in King's car, and raped, In this room, investigators found duct tape and other physical evidence. Michael then put Denise back in his car and drove to the Muxlow home for the shovel, gas can, and the flashlight. It was when they were on their way to Michael's cousin's home that Denise had managed to sneak away Michael's phone and make that 911 call. They arrived at the house where Denise tried to make an escape, but ultimately, she couldn't get away. Michael then took Denise to a more remote area and shot her in the head, killing her. He buried her body in a four-foot hole in the muddy dirt and drove away, thinking that he had gotten away with murder.
1: It's hard to imagine what could have compelled Michael King to want to commit such a horrible crime. Michael was 36 at the time he abducted Denise Lee from her home. He grew up near Pontiac, Michigan, where he worked as a plumber. Just like Nathan Lee, Michael worked overtime so that his wife could stay home and care for their son. But by the mid-2000s, things weren't looking good for his family. He was getting a divorce, moved to Florida, and in 2007, he was on the brink of losing his home in a foreclosure and had recently broken up with his girlfriend. Michael himself had a son who was 13 at the time. During the trial, it was brought up that Michael also had a very low IQ and brain injury, possibly as a result of a sledding accident when he was a kid. Michael's brother-in-law, Irving, remembered watching his trial on TV and noted that Denise looked a bit like Michael's ex-wife, Danielle. Danielle reportedly was tough on Michael, always bossing him around. She had also walked out on Michael and their son twice, which meant that Michael had to stay to take care of their boy alone. His brother-in-law thinks that part of the attack may have some relation to Michael's feelings about his ex. Most other family members seemed to think of Michael as a pretty average guy. He was known to exaggerate a lot, and he wanted others to think he was important. But no one seemed to think he could be capable of such a heinous crime. Although there were several bullos, or be-on-the-lookout reports that were issued in the six counties surrounding Northport after Denise was reported missing, Charlotte County reportedly did not receive the reports or hear anything about the Green Camaro until 6.45 p.m., losing crucial time that could have helped save Denise's life. According to the Internal Affairs Report of the situation, Charlotte County was understaffed in the dispatch center, which caused Caused Jane's call to get lost in translation as shifts changed at the center. The following August in 2009, Michael's trial began and the evidence against him was plentiful, thanks to Denise. Denise's hair strands pulled out by the root were found tucked in the car seat. And they also found the heart ring that Nathan had given Denise when they were first together in Michael's car. The prosecution called Jane Kowalski and Harold Muxlow to the stand. Both testified to what they had seen that night, further linking Michael to the crime. Michael's defense did not call any witnesses. They rested their case with their only argument being that there was reasonable doubt due to possible evidence tampering. But the jury didn't buy this defense, and after only two hours of deliberation, Michael King was found guilty of kidnapping, sexual battery, and first-degree murder. The following week, by a unanimous vote, the jury recommended the death penalty for these crimes. As the sentencing was death, there was a mandatory appeal process, and in 2012, the first appeal was denied. The Florida Supreme Court upheld these charges and sentencing, finding that his actions were unquestionably cold and cruel. Today, Michael King still waits on death row at the Union Correctional Institution in Ryford, Florida. Because of the egregious mishandling of the 911 calls related to Denise's abduction, Nathan Lee and others have worked hard to prevent such a thing happening to anyone else. They worked with the Florida State Congress to pass the Denise Amber Lee Act, a bill that creates statewide standards for 911 operator training and certification. Introduced by Senator Dave Ehrenberg, the act brings some light to an otherwise horrible event by putting in place protocols to prevent the oversight that directly contributed to Denise's murder. Though introduced in 2008, the bill has been stalled in Congress, awaiting approval. Nathan and his family have also spoken out against a bill introduced in 2010 that would make 911 calls private, unable to be released publicly. Nathan and others have criticized this bill for allowing 911 operators to have less accountability for when they make an error, as they did in Denise's case. Luckily, this bill was later dropped. In the face of a terrifying situation, Denise fought for her life. Amazingly, she was able to make the phone call to 911 and was able to leave evidence in King's car that would later help convince the jury of his guilt. The mishandling of the 911 calls let Michael King get away with too much that night, but Denise's actions may have helped ultimately bring justice for herself and her family. Furthermore, Nathan's continued fight to ensure others calling for help to 911 are never mishandled like Denise's case was. There may be some good to have come from this tragic story. Thanks to our listener, Kristen, for suggesting this case to us. If you have an interesting case that happened in your hometown... We would love to hear about it. So email us, DM us on Instagram, or however you can get a hold of us. And thank you so much for listening to this episode. We will see you next week.
0: Crime Salad is a Weird Salad production. Are you kidding me? That was perfect.
2: Hi, this is Daniel Roof, the Real GM Radio podcast. It's a Texas showdown the postseason and BetOnline is your number one source for all your baseball wagering information, up to the minute stats, news, scores, and matchup breakdowns, everything you need to stay up to speed on each league championship series and through the World Series. Don't forget, BetOnline is where you have the latest game odds, present totals for the NFL and college football, plus real-time updates on statistics, news, and odds, serious upbetting on football. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to get in on the action at BetOnline, where the game starts.